Today's episode of the Hey Coach, It's Blank podcast is presented to you by Bubbles and Blocks Child Development Center in Lincoln. We made it the final week of Hey Coach, It's Blank podcast, which means the football season is right around the corner. This week is a special one, though. It might be the finish, but it means a lot to me. Often I've asked the people kind enough to come on this show who they grew up reading because it always fascinates me. Probably because I relate it back to my own experience as a kid growing up in Columbus, Nebraska, and reading anything and everything I could get my hands on. As I mentioned last week, among the first names I can truly remember in sports is Rick Riley. Getting Sports Illustrated on Thursdays, unless it ran late, and then on Friday, meant opening to the last page first and reading his column. Every. Single. Week. In my brain, columnists have the best jobs in the media. They are the thought shapers and storytellers, the people who introduce us to an athlete or a team we've never heard of, or are the ones who help shape our views on the athletes we know well. More often than not, columnists live in that space between the team and the fan. Columnists cheerlead. Columnists jeerlead. They ask thought-provoking questions. They emphasize and often drive home ideas and expressions. They manipulate our emotions, all with the word choice that has the embodiment of a perfect head of hair. Not one strand, not one word out of place. They write in such a way that it feels like a one-sided phone call or, even better, like they're explaining it all to you while you're both on a couple stools at your favorite watering hole. Anyways, there was Rick Riley and later Ralph Wiley and Bill Simmons and a host of names. But the one I read the most, the one I grew up with the most, the one waiting for me at the end of every 6 a.m. paper out, but only if I meet my brother home, which I almost never did, was Tom Chattel. Chattel's columns brought me closer to players I'd never meet, teams I rarely saw in person. He humanized numbers on laundry and set the stage for events I could only dream about attending. And he did it in Omaha. So when I put this podcast together, I knew how I wanted the first season to end. And perhaps this is the only season. So I needed to make this one happen, and thankfully Tom was gracious with his time. So, what you're about to hear is Tom Chattel telling stories and letting me pretend to be a kid again, living vicariously through someone else, like I did multiple times a week for years growing up, reading the Omaha World Herald. Well, we've made it. Episode 10 of the Hey Coach, It's Blank podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, and I specifically selected this individual for the final episode of this first season. Um, In no short part, because when I was younger, I very much wanted to be Tom Chattel growing up. I mentioned on this uh, podcast before, I used to deliver the Omaha World Herald. My brother and I would split our route. And we would basically race, and the winner of that race would get the sports section. The loser would have to wait until after breakfast and try to read it before having to get ready to go for school. So it was always, you know, it was a spirited thing. And I grew up reading a lot of Tom Chattel. I grew up reading a lot of uh, Lee and and all of those guys from the World Herald. I, I think it was every Tuesday, Tom, that uh, Lee had his, his Big 12 rankings and all of that. And my... Uh, my brother would always tell me that he hated Nebraska and then, you know, it's always, it's always fascinating <laughs> the way that uh, you're, you first find yourself, you know, learning about individuals in the media and everything else. And you have these 
preconceptions. And then I'm fortunate enough that I've been able to meet all of these people that I've read uh, throughout mm-hmm. most of my life, including including you. And so I'm excited today to, to, to bring you on this podcast. And basically, as I told you just before we started to record here, I'm just going to try to get you in storyteller mode. So um, hopefully. It's never hard to do. I'm usually ready to, to do that. So Great. Great. I, uh, I'm excited for that. I am excited for that. So as, uh, as almost every single one of these podcasts begins, we're going all the way back to, uh, to the beginning. When, when did you first realize that you wanted to be involved in the newspaper business? Oh, boy. Well, I always um, go back to when I was like 13 and I was um, growing up in uh, South Kansas City, Missouri and um, played a little football. I lasted a half a year. Uh, I was a center in eighth grade, uh, Irvin Junior High. And um, I went to block a guy and the, the linebacker, uh, I lifted me up off the ground and planted me on my back. And um, I got up and said, nice hit. And I think that was, that was probably the point I knew. If you, if you tell somebody nice hit, you're not, you're not supposed to be in football. So <laughs> yeah, I, I was more of a basketball player and I played tennis. Um, but I was not much of an athlete. I loved to write. And um, my hero was Oscar Madison on uh, – the Odd Couple, uh, which was uh, Jack Klugman. It was a movie first, uh, Walter Matthau and uh, Jack Lemmon. And it became a TV show. That's where I caught up. Uh, Jack Klugman, uh, 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 Tony Randall. Oscar Madison was my hero. He, he, uh, he was a fun guy. He was a slob. He wore, he wore a, 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 a New York Mets hat backwards. He typed, he drank beer, ate hot dogs, uh, went out on dates. He's just kind of the guy I wanted to be. So I got into that, and um, my dad used to have a uh, subscription to the Sporting News. Now, sporting News back in the 70s was like a full, uh, full-fledged magazine. It was like a newspaper magazine. It was a news, newsprint but it was not like Sports Illustrated, and it was all baseball. You had a few football things in the back. But in the 70s, it was baseball. And they had columnists from all over the country. And uh, I taught myself how to type. And I told a typewriter, the eighth grade, I'd uh, get the sporting news, and I, w- I, I would type out everybody's column. Uh, like, they had like seven or eight columnists. And every week, I'd type out their columns on a piece of paper. And that's how I learned to type and um, just wanted to be that guy in the press box. It was a magical place. And when I finally got there in college, it was, um, it was amazing. Yeah. So when, like, when did you know that you had a knack for writing? Like, was it encouraged to you by teachers? Was it just something like, Hey, I like doing this. Like when, you know, was there like an aha moment for you for, for any of this? Yeah, not really. Um, I suppose along the way, uh, my teachers would comment, English teachers and um, so forth. Um, when I was a sophomore at uh, Hickman Mills High School, which is now uh, the, the, the world's largest middle school, my high school is gone, opened in 73, 
and I think it it, it closed its doors about ten years ago, because uh, that, that part of that part of Kansas City, uh, everybody left. Um, but um, you know, they they wouldn't allow. Uh, I, I just always had a drive to to go after things, and um, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't know if I could write or not. But the more I wrote, uh, I guess the better I got. Maybe uh, I went. I went knocking on doors. I went to the Jackson County Advocate, which 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 was in Grandview, Missouri, and um, it came out every week. I said, "Hey, I'll cover high school games for you." They said, "Sure, we can use a kid. Um, we'll pay twenty five cents an inch." And so that's why I still write too long. Today's <laughs> uh, I I <laughs> hey. I better, I better drag it out some more. Let's get some more quotes. Um, but so I started doing that on the side. And then I got on my high school paper. They didn't allow sophomores. I, I tried anyway, and they let me on. And I became sports editor and an editor. And then um, went to um, college at Missouri. Um, I kind of got lucky there because they had a, a great J school. But it was the only place my parents would let me go. I mean, I wanted to go to Oklahoma because uh, they had a great football, and I loved um, you know the Sooners back then. And um, but Missouri was in state, so I went to Missouri, and it worked out great. Um, but all along, I don't know. Um, I, I, I've never really. I must have always been a little insecure about uh, whatever talent I might have. Uh, I always thought, you know, I always tried to uh, re- read the best writers and columnists and always think, oh, I can never be that good. And I've always tried to copy them a little bit, take a little bit from them, them there and and uh, always always worked on my style. I'm still working on my style. I have no idea what my style is. Um, <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess um when people kept giving me jobs, maybe I figured out I, I I could do okay. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I would I would say you've been able to make a career out of it, so it, it <laughs> worked out. It's worked out pretty well. Yeah. Did you? Uh, so, kind of going back to the sporting news and just going back to when you were a little bit younger, like who were some of these columnists that that you really liked to read? Like who who sort of stood out for you? Yeah, um, I'd say uh, well. Jim Murray was always number one for me. Um, there were a couple other guys in sporting news. Uh, Art Spander was uh, from the West Coast, and um, there were different. Uh, you know, uh, Chicago had a couple guys. Um, um, I always loved Bill Lyon at the the Philadelphia Inquirer, with just an incredible wordsmith. Um, as I get into college, I, I started to read Mike Lupica. The uh, the big mouth from New York Daily News who could, could write better than anybody and had, had an opinion and was always always Steinbrenner and the Yankees and and um, so I, yeah just uh, as I met at the Missouri J School Library they had paper every every paper around the country was there I used to go there and just camp out and read everything and um, I remember. Uh, my senior year in college, reading this guy, uh, the Dallas Morning News, and um, Skip Bayless, 
And he's just like he is now, only back then in 1980, he, he was in print. <laughs> yeah. It changed a bit. He would write stuff that nobody else thought about writing. Um, but then I got into the Skywriters, Mike, and I started to really appreciate the smaller town guys. Um, I loved uh, I, I loved to read Bill Connors, the Tulsa World columnist, who knew every Oklahoma assistant coach, and he'd write X's and O's columns, and he'd inside stuff and. I loved, uh, of course, Kansas City Joe McGuff, uh, the the longtime uh, longtime veteran sports uh, columnist and editor um, who who brought the Royals into existence. Um, uh, Bob Henson at the Topeka Capitol. I mean, the uh, Chuck Woodling and Lawrence. These are college writers, right? And I just admired the way they knew their team and their town and how they were like big names there. And I always had a love for college football. And uh, that was born on November 18th, 1978 in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, it's, it's quite, the, quite the list there. So I, I, what I'm always fascinated by, and I don't know, I don't know your exact, journey as to how you ended up being a columnist but was that always kind of the goal for you yes. I mean because you I mean you're talking about the sporting news and you're talking about typing those out and then you I'm sure you had a column for your high school paper and and all of it what what drove you to wanting to to be a columnist because that's not everybody's end game um, yeah especially now with, with media but I know for me when I was younger that was always the thing that I really wanted. I don't know if it was because I really felt like I needed my picture on the left-hand side of the, of the newspaper or, or what it was, but it's, there's something about the columnist that always seems incredibly desirable to me when I was growing up. What was it for you? You know, at some point, I, maybe back in uh, eighth, eighth or ninth grade when I was starting out, I decided, you know what? I wanted to, I wanted people to, when they had sat at the breakfast table, to read my column. And the first thing they got up and did, and um, that was all I wanted to do. I figured the columnists were the guys who knew how to do that. And, um, you know, when you're a beat writer, there's some of that. Um, I, just, I, 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 and I, I always gravitated toward the beat writers who were like columnists. They were, these guys were like big names. Um, you know, uh, Rick Hummel and St. Louis Post Dispatch, the Cardinals writer. Um, the uh, the Post Dispatch had two football writers, uh, Tom Barnage and uh, Doug Grow, who could write their ass off. And I just enjoyed, they had some swag to them. And um, just guys like that. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to be the, the guy that, you know, you, uh, you turn to first. And, um, I don't know. I, I I'm told by people it's the the greatest honors I've ever had. You know, I probably have a a few awards or a few trophies down in, down in the box in the basement somewhere. I don't know, but um, the best to me the best honors were emails I get from my readers saying that um, that I'm the first thing they read. And I just 
I get goosebumps when I, when I hear that. So um, one of my favorite stories is um, um, well, I was on a I, 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 I was on a bus at the, the media or a media bus at the Super Bowl one year, and uh, a pub right, right right next to uh, uh, Bill Plasky, the LA Times sports columnist, and um, mm-hmm. he's a great guy. We started talking, and he goes, "You know, he goes, you got the you got the best job in the in the in the, uh, the, the country." I'm going, me, Omaha? What are you talking about? No, he goes, no. He goes, a few years ago, I uh, they sent me to do uh, a, they sent me to a, a town called Gothenburg. I was uh, during the Super Bowl. Before the Super Bowl, I was going to interview Jay Novacek and his family. Um, you know, Jay, of course, from Gothenburg, all all pro tight end. Um, the Cowboys uh, went to Wyoming. Uh, not sure how that worked out, <laughs> where they didn't recruit him, or maybe he just chose to go to Wyoming. But anyway, then he ended up with the Cowboys and had a great career. So Plasky goes to his – he's like a soft-spoken, quiet cowboy kind of guy um, and uh, from, from small-town Gothenburg. So Plasky says he goes out to the Gothenburg, and he's sitting around the, the, the dinner table – with the with the, the Novacek family, and he said they were all arguing about a column I wrote. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me! I thought that was awesome. So I don't know what the column was. Who knows? Um, hopefully, it wasn't about Lawrence Phillips. But um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, it was um, that kind of stuff. Just I just love it. I just that's why I do it, and I still do it. And uh, you know, it's. Um, now we have all these fancy numbers and we would have a report every day. Here's the clicks. Here's how people are, how many people are clicking on the story and here's where you rank and here's what, you know, and for years, I never I had no idea. <laughs> it was just, you just kind of hope people are out there reading. But now I get a little number every day and eh, it's kind of fun. But um, um, so anyway, uh, well, you know, as, as, as I guess Billy Tubbs used to say, what was the question? Yeah. Well, I mean, the the just general idea is what kind of drove you to, to wanting to be a columnist. And yeah. so I'll sort of spin it even a, a little bit more this way. How, how do you feel like you, and maybe you haven't, do you feel like you've had to change the way that you write um, now that it's almost a much larger people consume your stuff through their phone or on their computer or that way far more than the newspaper. Now has that changed your approach to writing your columns or do you still feel like you largely write the same way that you did um, back in the nineties when it was largely the newspaper? I don't think, I mean, I think I've changed, but not because of the the platforms or the, the internet or anything. I think it's uh, maybe I try to be more concise. I think people, have a a, sh- a shorter uh, attention span than they used to. Um, you know, I try to crank out a thousand words. How many people are going to go through that? I don't know, but um, I suppose if it's what they want to read, they will. But um, no, my um, I, I definitely changed, and I definitely changed. Um, I feel like it was almost like a. Uh, 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 
correction for me. I feel like when I started in 91, September 1st, 91, um, starting to get into talk radio a little bit, the, the, the people were that were coming into the media were becoming louder and uh, more shrill and they would throw out stuff to try to get reaction. And um, so I kind of got, as I was starting to be a columnist, I, I made the mistake of falling into that trap where I wanted to, okay, this is the way it's going. Maybe I should be that guy too. And um, I was a lot different than Mike Kelly, who I, who I replaced. I, 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 I would go after people and, um, of course, you know, the rule I was always taught by Hall of Fame baseball writers in Kansas City and Dallas and football writers was uh, if you're going to criticize somebody, you got to show up the next day. So I, I'd always make sure I showed up. Um, but, you know, I think over the years, um, there were a couple of times like I went after Frost pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then my friend Mel Tenniper, the line coach, pulled me aside and said, you screwed up and that was our fault. Yeah. You, you had the, yeah, you, 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 I didn't say screwed up. He used another word, but he said, um, yeah, we can guess. We can guess. (laughs) He said, you you messed up. And, um, that, and that was our fault. I always appreciated milk for it. He was always laid on the line for me, but, um, so yeah, there were some times Mike where I, um, I wasn't really trying to get attention as much as, just felt like that's what columnists did. And then somewhere along the line, just through experience, I just figured out you got to be yourself. The people want you to be genuine. They don't want you to be fake. They don't want to think that you're trying to be something you're not. And um, and I've always been, I always love to tell stories and um, more than hammer you over the head with an opinion all the time. And uh, I think you have to have opinions, but I think it's um, the, the, the things that really resonate and I think stick with people are the stories, the information, you know, you've, you've got sources, you, you, you've talked to the coaches and players, you can, you know, writing with authority is very important to me. And that comes from, I've always seen myself as sort of a beat writer columnist. I, I'm, I practice every day I can. And uh, whether I'm writing or not, like today I was there, I just want to be there. I just want to hear them. I want to hear what they're saying. And uh, I may not write about it. I may, I may or may not, but I'm there. And uh, I think that's, that's how you have to do it. Um, but somewhere along the way, and people say, well, you got married, you had kids. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. Um, my wife's pretty she, – she, she's a pretty opinionated sports fan, so – uh, loves Nebraska football, has tickets and all that stuff. So, um, but I think somewhere along the way, I figured out, you know what? I don't have to be that guy. I could do it once in a while. And um, I'm certainly not afraid to have an opinion or, or, or really speak my mind. Or if, if somebody's all pissed off, that, okay, that's part of the deal. Uh, let's go talk and get it over with and come back the next day. Um, but so, yeah, I think I have changed. I, if you want to you want to say mellowed or softened a little bit, um, I feel like perspective, I feel like God, with Twitter, everybody's a columnist now. Everybody's a commentator. Everybody's got a take, and, and they're everywhere. And uh, I mean, you can't walk down the street 
without seeing takes. There's takes everywhere now, and they're falling out of the sky. And um, but what you don't usually get is uh, some kind of perspective. Okay, I'm going to step back from the takes and maybe look down from above. Not that I'm higher than anybody, but you, you're looking down and maybe you're outside of it saying, okay, this is what it means. I think people really appreciate, you could tell them what something means. They, they know what it, what it is, if it sucks or it's good or that, but you know, what does it mean? Where's it going? And uh, what's next? And um, I think having experience, uh, having, having all the, the things I've been through allows me to do that. So yeah, I think I've changed. Uh, but it's not because of anything that uh, and anybody told me. Nobody at the World Herald has ever told me anything. You, do, you need to write this. Nobody's ever. They've all. They've all left me alone. Um, sometimes to my own uh, my own detriment. <laughs> but I uh, I've learned the hard way a lot of times, and um, it's interesting though. But the hardest thing for me has been not just the emails. I love to answer. I answer all every email. Uh, if you sign it, I don't like tweets. I don't like people that I don't know coming after me. I don't need to do that. And I, they shouldn't get to do that. Um, so I've kind of, I've learned to adjust with that. But man, it used to be, you had to write your letter. And um, you know, that Lawrence Phillips time, that two months, October, November, around Lawrence Phillips, I got a lot of letters and a lot of phone calls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you about Bubbles and Blocks Child Development Center of Lincoln. The Lincoln Choice Award for the Best Daycare is actually growing right now. Expansion will begin soon at their North Lincoln location at 8521 Lexington Avenue. The expansion will almost double the size of their current location and will bring with it exciting learning experiences for kids 6 weeks to 12 years of age. It will also offer fun job opportunities for those looking to make a positive influence in the lives of kids. They offer flexible scheduling and a fun atmosphere. For more information, go to bubblesandblockscdc.com. What was the path that, you know, like chart the path that you had from your time at Missouri, you finish up school there, yeah. to, I believe you said 1991, you ended up in, in Omaha mm-hmm. as, a, as a columnist for the World Herald. What was, what happened in between? What, where were you? I mean, I, I one of the things, quick aside here, one of the great things um, for me, you and I are friends on Facebook, and every now and then you will have, like, you'll go down memory lane with some things. One of the most recent ones I could think of last year, the British Open, and you wrote about your experience going over there and, and yeah. covering that. And um, those are awesome. Like, it's just a lot of fun to for me to sort of imagine or to, to read about what it was like, you know, just entirely different sports world. Yeah. Uh, and you, you've lived on both sides of that divide. And I always find that pretty fascinating. And so, um, but before you were the columnist at the world Herald, obviously you had, you know, probably close to a decade sports career doing other things. And and what was that? What was that path? Well, <clears throat> Boy, I got a lot of stories. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let it rip and just yeah. Uh, that's what me, we. That's what we want. To stop. Um, Nobody wants to hear me talk. They want to hear. No, no, you. no. But it was like, um, like a whole different life. A whole different. Like I lived two or three different lives, and and this has been one of them. Uh, it's been great. 
to be here. This is my 32nd year here. It's been great. But the Kansas City days, yeah, sometimes I'll go down to Kansas City and I'll drive around and go, yeah, I remember this, remember that. We used to do that. We used to, and um, um, I'll, I'll just start with the story I love to tell. Um, that Missouri-Nebraska game, that it's still painful for people who were there to remember when, you know, Nebraska just beat Oklahoma finally. Is this the Kellen the Winslow world. game? What's that? Is this the Kellen Winslow game? Yeah, yeah. The uh, Well, the, the James Wilder game. He, um, the, 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 the big fullback who he kind of been played that year, but he, he became a, a, a superstar that day. I mean, he he and uh, Rick Burns just went back and forth all day. It was one of the greatest games I've ever seen. Back and forth under this, you know, dark gray skies, gloomy weather, cold, hard hitting. It was just, to me, it was magical. And to be, walk up, you know, I drove up from Kansas City on Friday and um, I was a junior, a fall of 78. And uh, working for the uh, Man Eater, one of one of the two papers uh, at, at Missouri, and um, I met some friends from the who were with the Columbia Tribune and Missourian downtown Lincoln. Uh, we we I, I can still see the corner where we met. It's right by the the, 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 the old sweep left sign, probably be like uh, ninth and O. And um, there was a bar there called Marie's Oasis. And these two old women were behind the bar. One was Marie. The other one was called Tiny. It was like the Golden Girls owned a bar. <laughs> we hung out there. We went up to Sweep Left. Had a great time. I mean, we love college football. And Lincoln was college football. I mean, it wasn't like Columbia thought it was college football. But Lincoln was, I mean, they had a bar called Sweep Left. It was unbelievable. They had the guys on the side of the building. It was all lit up. It was like a marquee. And they had the running back and the lineman, and they would just light up in order. It was just nuts. We just thought that was great. So next day, I'm walking into the stadium, I look up, and there's that inscription on the side of the stadium. Um, not the goal, but the game and the deed, the glory. I just I, – I, I wrote it down in my notebook. I was just so overwhelmed by that because I love history even back then. And I just felt like this was a special place. I felt like I was going into a church or a, some kind of a, a college football cathedral. We'd go up the press box and um, watch the game. And uh, they're going back and forth. And um, I write my uh, go down, we interview them. And um, they would be, the, the Missouri locker room back then was in the, uh, I don't know what corner it would be, uh, as you're facing from the press box to the right, it would be in that little corner there. That's where we went. And uh, I came back up on my story. I was going to meet the guy. I, I, I was going to sleep on their floor. That's what you did back then. You, you just crashed on somebody's hotel room floor. And uh, I got lost coming out of the, the stadium there, the U-turns and the one-ways and stuff. And uh, I lost them. So I spent about an hour in downtown Lincoln trying to find them. You know, went back to all the places, didn't see them. So I said, yeah, it's almost midnight. I'm going to just drive back to Kansas City. I'm, I'm wired. I'm awake. I'm 20 years old. I can drive all night. So I drove back, and um, I don't remember where this truck stop was, somewhere on I-29. Maybe it was where the Sap Brothers, Nebraska City. Mm -hmm. I have no idea where this was. 
but it was a place that would have had World Heralds. Um, so it couldn't have been too far away from Omaha. But I, I'm driving down I-29. I need to get, you know, something to drink. And kind of, you know, Mountain Dew, wake up. And uh, I walk into this gas station and they have the World Heralds stacked up out, out by the door outside and uh, with you know, they're fresh with their with the little ties still tied around them and uh, I grabbed one and it was just like a magic off the the newsprint you know the, the the World Herald had all these great photos of the game the headlines I pulled the sports out I'm looking at all this stuff I buy it I go back into my car I start reading all this these game stories and sidebars <laughs> and there was one um from Larry Porter the great late uh, Larry Porter of the World Herald, uh, so many years of, of, of just outstanding writing, and he covered everything. And um, that day, he was the, the sidebar guy for Nebraska. And he's, and back then, you're in the locker room. So he writes about you know, that, that day, Rick Burns, the great running back, one of the more underrated running backs in Nebraska history. Um, he, um, man, for, I think, 255, it was a school record. I think maybe uh, Roy Hulu got him in 2010 against Missouri, maybe. Mm -hmm. But uh, 255, and they lose. And they're not going, they're going to the Orange Bowl, but they got to play Oklahoma again. It was just um, really a weird, sad day for for them. But um, Larry Porter is interviewing Burns, and he's describing how he pulls his jersey and pads off in his locker, and he described the the red claw marks on his back from where the Missouri defenders tried to stop him and couldn't. So they just clawed his back. And I just, I was just, I almost passed out. I said, this is unbelievable. The, the, the imagery here. And uh, I, I said it right then. This is what I want to do the rest of my life. That's it right there. I want to write stuff like that. And, um, and then so um, back then, you know, we, uh, you, you do odd jobs. I was the, I, I worked at the Kansas City Star in high school as a, I, I used to answer the phones. Yep. You know, Sunday morning at noon, you get in there, there's nobody around. I got to go to the wire, AP wire machine. It spits out all this copy on paper, you know, game stories from NFL, all, all the sports, baseball box scores, I tear them off and put them on the editor's desk, answer the phone. Yeah, this is this so-and-so done at Jake's bar. Who um, who had the better year in 1962, Mickey Mantle or Frank Robinson? And, and, <laughs> you know, and then you can hear these guys arguing in the background. So I had to get out. I had the baseball encyclopedia right next to me for that very reason. And so I'd give them the answer. Are you sure? Can you look again? And I think I think that's not right. And we I do that for you know, so I worked at the Star, and then um, my senior year of college, I got to be the the campus correspondent, which meant I got to uh, write sidebars, do the you know track and field features or whatever was going on. I would write little sidebars and stuff for the um, um, Star, and um, I hope you got time. I got another story here. Um, the before the Nebraska game that year, Missouri opened up against uh, Notre Dame at Notre Dame, Joe Montana, 
defending national champions, Warren Power's first game at Missouri. We drive up, and uh, we're in South Bend. But, but before that, I had interviewed a uh, Missouri cornerback named Russ Calabrese, an Italian kid from Chicago, and he hated Notre Dame. So I wrote the story for the uh, uh, United Press International Wire Service. I was their correspondent. So I wrote a uh, story about the Chicago kid in Missouri who hated Notre Dame and he hated green and, and he hated the shamrocks and leprechauns and all this stuff. And so <laughs> it, it runs in the Chicago Tribune and sometimes both my wire story. It doesn't have my name on it. It just right. says, I'm in Missouri, UPI. Hey, it's me. So it runs in both Chicago papers. Short, uh, you know, short story long here. At the end of the, you know, Missouri's leading the game three nothing. They're going to pull the upset. Here comes Montana, late fourth quarter, driving them right on cue, and he had to get down to like the the, the twenty yard line. They're at least going to get a tie. He's got him going into the end zone. Uh, throws a pass to uh, his favorite receiver, Chris Haynes. Haynes is down to the five yard line on his way back to the huddle. He rushes. He just beaten Calabrese, the Italian kid. On his way back to the huddle, he slaps him on the face mask and helmet. And uh, here comes the flag. And it's 1978, they call right, it. Right, yeah. Whoa. So 15 yards, push him back. Uh, next thing, they had a sack. They try a field goal. They miss. Missouri wins. I always say, hey, I get an assist <laughs> for that game. So, um, the bulletin anyway, board material coming up big. Yeah. So anyway, uh, answer your question. I got a job at the Star out of college. I was a intern at the Cincinnati Enquirer before in summer '79. That was a great summer. Um, I had skyline chili for every meal, and I lost weight. <laughs> and '80, um, I went to the Star for an intern, and they hired me to cover high schools. I love covering high schools. I loved it. You know, you you keep your own stats. Mm-hmm. You're on the sideline. It's, you're doing rankings. You're getting everybody all pissed off at the rankings. And I just love the, the feel of it. Started covering uh, the Big Eight in 82. And um, so my job was to cover KU, K-State, and Missouri. So a lot of bad football, a lot of great basketball. That's where I kind of fell out in love with college basketball. So, um, okay. Okay. Well, and then I, I would come to Lincoln. Uh, whenever they would play then usually. And, uh, I, you know, back then it was um, uh, Dave Sittler, the World Herald, and uh, Steve Sinclair and a bunch of other guys. And uh, Journal Star was uh, Virgil Parker and uh, Randy York. I, uh, I've, I've, of course, our, our old friend Mike Babcock. Um, mm-hmm. And it was just... Um, that was it. And, you know, you didn't have that many uh, other people. And, uh, but, you know, Tom Osborne was an intimidating guy. He was really, I mean, back then, and Tom right now was the, the, the kindly grandfather that you want to take home and, you know, and, and listen to him tell stories. Uh, and uh, back then, people didn't like going to Lincoln. The, the national writers always felt like they had to come. They didn't want to come. Because of Tom, Tom didn't like to answer questions, and the, the whole mood was 
we don't really want you here. And um, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Um, Oklahoma was Switzer was the opposite. You know, it was like the okay corral. Yeah, come on in. We're having a barbecue. Locker rooms open. Go talk to Billy Sims. Go talk to Jamel Hallways. Boss is over here. We'll, we'll take Switzer's. I, I went to Switzer's office one one um, before they played in Missouri. They beat them 77 to nothing. I mean, this, this, it's no wonder on Friday, middle of October, I, I, I called ahead. Uh, I, I called Barry's um, secretary, Kay, and I said, yeah, I'm going to come down. I'm going to do a feature on uh, an interview with Coach Switzer about growing up, uh, you know, basically the, the Bill Eggers boy story that he wrote about. He told me the whole thing uh, that day. Friday afternoon, two o'clock, his team is doing a walkthrough on the stadium and the, the offensive linemen are running out, going up, going up for passes or <clears throat> they're just kind of jacking around, having fun. The head coach is up there talking to me. He's got his cowboy boots on his desk, um, propped up. He got a cigar in his mouth. He's telling <laughs> stories. And this is Friday before a football game and they're going to win 77 to nothing. So, I always loved going there. One time I walked in there and interviewed somebody and, 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 and Switzer was talking to these three guys who did, didn't look like football players. And he said, and he goes, Tom, what do you need? I said, well, I was trying to find Jamel Holloway or somebody. He goes, Hey, come here. He goes, he goes, meet earth, wind and fire. It's earth, wind and fire was in the OU locker room. And I get to meet them. It was Switzer. And I said, well, I love your guys' stuff. Nice meeting you. I got to go over here, but thank you. And um, that, that was Oklahoma. You know, Nebraska, you're lucky to get in, you know, about anything. But, um, um, okay, I promised I would tell this story. No, no, no. Um, July. We're in no rush. July of 85. And um, I will not mention names uh, uh, to uh, – protect the guilty here but um july of 85 i came up to do some nebraska stories uh middle of the summer it was a monday night i it had my interview set for tuesday uh, bob devaney and some others uh writing some the football section stuff and uh they so they set me up with everybody on tuesday so i get there monday night stay at the hilton which is now the the graduate back then it was the hilton um but uh, we used to go to P.O. Pairs. We had the Berries. Berries back then was just one uh, room. Mm-hmm. That was it. And they had the Big 8 logos above the bar. Uh, owner, Laura Berry, very nice woman. So we get, That was kind of our hangout. So Monday night, I called these two buddies. One worked for the athletic department. Or the, yeah, athletic department. Another guy worked for the one of the newspapers in Nebraska. I will not... I can't give them away, even though it's nobody cares now. I, I still promise I'd never give them away. So we sit there. We're in a booth. It's Monday night, July, whatever. Uh, there's nobody around, and uh, just us drinking beer. And so Morris says, you guys, you guys uh, I need to go home. You guys need to get out of here. And they, they had a giant cooler by the front door of Barry's full of beer. So she said, why don't you take some and go somewhere else? So we said, okay, good idea. Okay, where are we going to go? Well, somebody, it might have been me. <laughs> somebody said, hey, 
why don't we go out of the stadium and sit on the field and drink beer? Oh, yeah, I sound like actually I sound like fun. The guy who worked for the university said, I can get us in. <laughs> so we go down to the um, stadium, Monday night, whatever time, eight or nine, <laughs> and we can't get in. It's the, you know, and back then the stadium was so cool. And they had the red, they had the N on the side of the press box all lit up at night. It was just so cool. But anyway, we go down there. And uh, we try to get in, and it's locked up. So the guy says, well, let's try the press box. So we go press box, and he gets in. And he turns on the elevator, and here we go. We're going to the press box Amazing. With, with our beer. And, um, okay, middle of July, about 11 o'clock p.m., no, everything's empty, everything's dark. And uh, we're up in the ABC, the TV booth, and with the, it was open air. So we're just sitting there yelling out, you know, Fumbo, Nebraska, and all that stuff. We're just trying to be Keith Jackson and we're just talking and having fun. And finally we said, well, got to go, you know, I got to get up early. I got to do this and that. And yeah, we got we to do this and that. So what's, uh, all right, well, we've had our fun. Let's go. And um, so we get back to the, we go back to the elevator, hit the button, nothing. We go, uh-oh, hit the button again, no sound. Elevator's been shut off. And we can't, there's no stairs to, I mean, we don't, apparently that door of the stairs is locked, or it was some deal where we couldn't go down the stairs. So, <laughs> there's a payphone in the press box. Oh, no. So, we, we called, we called for help. We called Ken Hamilton <laughs> and Ken O'Reilly Jane. And, um, Said so, you know, it wasn't Ken doing all this; it was somebody else. But um, Ken came to the rescue, and he, and he said, "All right, how am I going to get up there?" And the guy says, I'll, "I'll throw you down my keys." And so he throws down his keys from this window down to the where the the base of the press box outside, and he and Ken, of course, here's the keys. He's got to try to find them down in the dark. He gets them, goes in, turns on the elevator, comes up. I gets a bunch of knuckleheads and we all get out of there as fast as we can. So <laughs> when I think of the hundredth anniversary of the Memorial stadium, I always think of that story. So <laughs> that's fantastic. That is fantastic. So you, you have the opportunity in 1991, the world Herald, I assume comes to you uh, or you had applied. Had, did you apply for this job or had they come to you specifically? Yeah, I was just, um, to give you a little bit of a background, I left the star in uh, August of 89 to go to the St. Louis Sun, a brand new startup and, uh, in St. Louis. And I was going to be there, there, the main college guy. And I went everywhere in the Big Ten and Big Eight. I covered all the best games. I spent all the – I went to the Nebraska-Colorado game that year in Boulder. I went to this uh, Ohio State-Michigan. I went this and that. And um, – Seven months later, it folded. <laughs> I, it was the reason I spent all this money. Oh, well, I guess we're going to don't have any money left. We're going to fold. So I was at a job uh, spring of 90 for a while. And I, I had a couple of uh, friends at the, uh, the morning news in Dallas. And um, they had an opening and um, just a miracle. 
because I was about ready to take a job covering the Seattle Sonics and uh, 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 to, to uh, uh, Tacoma. So um, they saved me. I, I love Dallas, and I was to be the backup on the Dallas Cowboys beat and to back up my, my, my good friend Rick Goslin, one of the all-time NFL writers. And uh, so I did that for the 1990 season. I got to know Jerry Jones and Jimmy and all those, uh, Troy Aikman, and and uh, it was a unbelievable year. NFL is so great to cover. I mean, you walk in every day, and there's competition. There are people. There, there were three newspapers in that air market. There were people from San Antonio had a writer there, and all these, you know, Austin and all these different. So it was a lot of competition, but it was a great year. I learned a lot. Then they, they took me off and they put me on golf. So I was, suddenly I was the, the the PGA Tour writer. So I was covering all the majors and doing all this stuff. And golf's great, great thing to cover. Uh, they, they bring all the athletes to you. There's no night games. It's, <laughs> I mean, the, the the English writers are we're always drunk by five. I mean, it's just <laughs> it was a great thing to cover. Um, but July of 91, I got a phone call from somebody, and, and they said, well, Mike Kelly is going from sports to news. He's going to write, be the Metro columnist. They have a sports uh, columnist opening, and they got a new sports editor. His name is Steve Sinclair, one of my great friends. So I said, I don't want to leave Dallas. I just got here. I love working for this paper. I love the city. Ah. This is a job I'd probably want one day, but not right now. And I, you know, I said, "Well, okay, idiot, you're gonna get it. You have to, you have to go for it now." So I did, and um, I was told the story of um, driving up to Omaha for my interview, and I'm driving down uh, 480 into town. I look over, and there's one building. <laughs> I see one building. I said, "No, where's downtown?" I don't see any buildings. <laughs> there was a, the 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 the, the uh, Woodman Tower. That was it. Yeah, I wondered if that was a I building. Said, Holy yeah. crap! What am I? I said, only have one building. <laughs> so I wind around. I'm coming. I'm coming down 14th Street exit. Okay, okay. The World Herald's supposed to be right here. What's this? I'm, I'm thinking about you know the Kansas City Star, the giant building with fountain out front, beautiful. Uh, Dallas had the uh, really giant building with um, uh, a, a big inscription on the side of the some uh, a famous inscription from famous quote on the side of the building, and uh, I mean these were impressive buildings. World Herald, I'm coming in. I said, it's "Supposed to that's supposed to be it? This little two story sand colored thing that." It's like it's a post office. I thought it was a post office. So I, now I said, well, hold on. So I go to my hotel, the Red Lion, check in, go out to dinner in the old market. It's a place called Scribbles that looked okay. But every every uh, table had crayons and the placemat was paper. So you, you could scribble on the placemat. So I'm like, okay. It's <laughs> an interesting angle. Um, and then Steve says, okay, after dinner, let's go out to my house. 
he lived in West Omaha, which back then was 144th and, and center. <laughs> that was everything else after that was farmland. Right. So, um, so he takes me out there and we're driving and we're driving and we're driving and we're talking and we're talking. And I, we finally, after like 20 minutes, I said, Steve, I said, we've been on the same street for 20 minutes. What is this? He goes, oh, this is called Dodge Street. He goes through the whole town going, I can't work here. We got, we got scribbles. We got one street through the whole town. We got one building. We got the post office. I can't do this. Next day, I go interview. I love everybody. Great people. Uh, I love college football. I love Big 8 football. I always I knew Mel Tenniper. I knew Tom a little bit. I knew some of the writers. I knew Lee. Um, it, it was a natural. I, I, I never looked back. And I thought, you know what? I'll be there a couple of years, and then I'll go. I'll go back to Dallas or Kansas City or one of Columbus, or I'll go somewhere bigger. But uh, for now, this will be okay. And thirty-two years later, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Wife, three kids, house, uh, and uh, so much in this area has changed. So much in Lincoln has changed, and so much in Omaha has changed. No doubt about it. it- the timing of all of that, too, for you to get there in 1991, you're there for a couple of years, and then you pretty much get the five-year run of greatness for Nebraska from 93 to 97. Did you did you ever entertain, seriously, any any offers? Or at some point, were you just so entrenched, it was like, this is where you're going to be? You know, I thought, I no, I never really, uh, nobody ever called me up, Um and I never really looked that, you know, I, I love, you know, we go back to my Skywriter days where I love those guys from Topeka and Lawrence and, and Oklahoma and city. And, and these guys that were sort of the, the giants of their, you know, area. And uh, they covered college football and basketball and they were experts at it. And that's what I morphed in. That's what I wanted to do. So I, I felt my, I've got, incredibly lucky to be where I'm at. Um, Nebraska fan base is got to be the number one fan base as far as people interest in football and wanting to read and wanting to know and wanting to take part. And, you know, have we had, have we gone round and round? Sure. People have finally stopped telling me to, you know, I go back to Missouri and, uh, they don't do the, the stuttering thing anymore. That's okay if they did. I, 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 it's part of my deal. Uh, Matt Slauson uh, taught me how to how to get rid of that, how to get over that. But um, um, yeah, I just I, I just uh, yeah, and, and certainly when you're going to the Orange Bowl and you're playing all these games, it's kind of fun. I mean, it's it's you know you're always writing and yeah, it was a little bit of a grind. But how much of a grind can it be when you're covering the best games of the year and yeah. you've got the most meaningful in all this history. And um, it was awesome. It was just an awesome, awesome thing to be around and to, you know, to go a little further, you got to practice. It was me and Lee and uh, Ken Hamilton and occasionally Eric Olson when he started covering it, but three people at practice every day and the, the, they let him watch for a while they kind of had an agreement that, you know, if you see somebody get hurt, you know, we're not, we don't want that, you know, 
we want to talk about it first. Right. And uh, but back then there wasn't any internet. Nobody right got stuff out immediately. So I, mean, I remember one time watching Barfneck walk into the training room. We went into the into the uh, the South Stadium, uh, the hallway to the locker room. You know, the locker room was left. Training room right. Elevator to go up to the uh, SIB office was on the right. He went all the way into the training room. He he went to see Doke. Doke Ostergaard in the back of the training room. He just went in like he owned the place, which you know what he did. That you know, B Rider was allowed to go places. I mean, I still have my favorite story. Tom Ash, the beat writer in the 70s, talking about going to the, he used to go into the sauna with the coaches. I mean, <laughs> that's that's totally old school. But that's what you could do. Yeah. I mean, I I went uh, after one game, uh, Mel Tenerper invited me to his house to, to hang out with the linemen. So I, I rode fast and I went out to his house somewhere in Lincoln. I don't remember where it was. But they had a, two grills going and, you know, a tub full of beer and the linemen were having a good time. And it was, can't do that anymore. And that's yeah. what they used to do. And I remember going to Barry's after a spring game and, or man after a scrimmage and seeing Charlie McBride at Barry's with, a two, with, with a two former players uh, who actually had just left or were graduating and, Sitting there, just having a couple of beers and hanging out. You can't do that anymore. So, <laughs> yeah, it was a whole different time. Um, but yeah, it's just when I think of all the stuff, you know, the the nineties, those great Orange Bowl games, and we thought we'd go to the Orange Bowl every year, and we haven't been since ninety seven, and um, you know, it was um, it was and watch the national media come in. Try to get, you know, Tom was Tom was so good with the national media. On you know, he answered every question, and guys had the image of him. And he said, "Why? Well, I'm, I'm not supposed to like him. He doesn't want to do interviews." But then he would answer every question, and he, he was really good. So he he made a lot of during the Lawrence Phillips thing. He made actually a lot of fans, in media, uh, who would be actually come out and see him. But um, yeah, it was. Um, an amazing thing to watch. And then the big 12 happened and then mm -hmm. so much, and it was just sort of evolved. And, um, God, I think about all that stuff that we've been through with, uh, Bill Callahan and Peterson and Polini and the big 10 and on and on and on. Yeah. And, um, that's crazy. Yeah. This is probably the most unfair question I could ask. And given that you have had the opportunity to cover so many different sports, so many different sporting events, uh, is there a game, is there a, a moment that you covered live that just sticks with you and will stick with you throughout uh, eternity here? You mean here in Nebraska or, or uh, Really else? anywhere. I mean, throughout yeah. your career. Yeah, uh you know, I still can't believe I got to do what I got to do when I came to Omaha. I don't know how I talked them into it, but they let me go anywhere. And our budget was like crazy stupid. I mean, that first year, um, I went to the World Series. Um, I went to the – and it, it was in Minnesota. 
uh, but drove up, did that, went to the Super Bowl, went to the Final Four, the Masters, went to the U.S. Open, um, went to the Olympics. Okay, I got to go to the Olympics in uh, Spain. Yeah, Barcelona, right? Barcelona, Dream yeah, 92. And um, when I think about that, I'm thinking, <laughs> holy crap. I got, I was so lucky to do all that stuff. And I just, just by asking. And they just, and I, I was just writing my ass off in AM, PM paper and sending stuff. But the Olympics to me, well, there are probably three things um, that I, would call my, my favorite things. And that was one of them was covering the uh, dream team, uh, the gold medal game. It was blah, wasn't even a good game. Just, just to see it, just to be there. And uh, just to be part of the Olympic games it was like going to um, some kind of camp for two weeks. You know, you you, every day you get up, you wear your t-shirt and shorts, tennis shoes. You put your uh, a credential on, you get on the bus, you go cover a different, you know, sporting event, something probably historic or fun or meaningful, and uh, you come back and write a column. You get back on the bus. You go back to your uh, the the media village, which was like a giant uh, campus dorms or apartments, and they had an all night bar. And we'd come back at midnight and have a few, and go to bed and get up and do it again, and. I just, I just love that. The whole Olympics thing was a great experience. Um, 84, I, I was on the Kansas City. I was on part of the golf beat. When I wasn't covering the Big 8, I was on the golf in the summer. That meant I meant covering Tom Watson. Back in early 80s, he was Tiger Woods. He was yeah. the number one guy. And so I got to go to St. Andrews for the 84 British Open. And it was on Golf Channel last month. I taped it. I'd never seen it, and uh, it was cool to watch it. Um, but just uh, going to Scotland, I, I stayed with a, um, a family. They they rented out their house to uh, media visitors, and the guy, the host, was a, a English professor, English lit professor at uh, Saint Andrews University. He wrote spy novels in his spare time, and he we talked about writing and ate these giant breakfasts and. Uh, after one uh, round, I um, uh, was up, up there late with uh, a guy I met from the uh, Denver Post, who was at the LA Times then, uh, a guy named Rick Riley. And he was a, he turned out to be, a, we, we were at that, at, that, at that time good friends. And we were the last two in the, uh, the, the press tent. It was an actual tent in St. Andrews. And um, Everybody had a table, and they some guys. It's 1984. Just left their laptops there overnight. They figured, well, nobody's going to steal it. Security's good. They didn't even take them home. They left them in their desk. So, yeah, Rick and I are kind of goofy. It's about midnight, which was, which was like six o'clock uh, here uh, uh, Midwest time, and um, at six p.m. So it's midnight there. We're kind of goofy and. Um, we went around and, and turned on people's computers and read their stories. We like got to the Washington Post. Tom Boswell wrote, "Oh, I wish I'd written that. I wish I'd written that. Look at that. That's unbelievable." He'd go all these <laughs> different deals. It was just the craziest thing I've ever done. Um, that was watching Ballesteros beat Watson 
on the last two holes. Being part of that was just incredible. The other thing I loved was um, 88 Final Four. Uh, getting to, you know, obviously it got me ready for the 90s, but getting to cover the, the team I covered at win a national championship and, and do it in the hometown, KU won the national title by beating Oklahoma in Kansas City. And uh, I was sitting there, I've got a picture of media. And I'm sitting there right in the right in the middle of uh, the court, and uh, it was a hell of an experience. I was just amazing. So I've been very very lucky. I've just I feel like uh, I'm like Forrest Gump sometimes. I've, I've just kind of fallen into in, into some weird uh, things and, and incredible moments. And just been very very fortunate. Uh, right place, right time. Uh, total, just uh, incredibly lucky. So. Um, but uh, it, it's luck, sure, but you had the talent and the wherewithal to put yourself in these places. I mean, it didn't just happen by magic, like you. Yeah, it's, you had you know, to, you, guy, you could have made it happen too. I mean, I, I haven't told any Nebraska basketball stories. The Danny Nee stories. I mean, <laughs> just uh, amazing. We would, um, you know, one time we were in, in uh, Stillwater. Lee and I went down for a, he he covered the team. I went down for a game. It was. A fairly big game. They they won. It was one of their better teams. And um, um, you know, we ended up going to Danny's hotel suite after the you know and having drinks with him and just just the stuff he used to do. Just um, and, and you know, you get to know these guys so well. Um, but um, does that make it hard know, to cover it at the end? Like when it when it goes bad know, for Danny Knee, did that make it difficult for you specifically? Yeah, and I, I certainly was on. I, I I was probably as spoiled as anybody. I thought, you know, Nebraska. I've covered all these teams, you know, K State and KU and Missouri. I know this isn't KU, but you know, if Iowa State can do it, why can't Nebraska do it? So I was kind of like, yeah, they, things are really good here. They got Teron Lou, Benson Hamilton, a bunch of good guys, but they need to be winning games and, and advancing, and so. At some point, that's got to be coaching, right? Well, it's kind of like football. You know, you better be careful what you wish for. They just never um, – they hired Collier, and uh, they could have – I think they could have had Bill Self in 97. Uh, but, you know, but he was – when he was at Oral Roberts, I think he always loved Nebraska. I think he would have come then when he went to uh, – They went away. Uh, well – uh, Tulsa job, yep. he was pretty good. He could get Illinois then. So, but um, that whole walkout thing in '96, where at Iowa State, where um, the little locker room off the side of the court crammed in there, and uh, we're on the outside, but you could hear everything going on. The players are yelling at me. He's and he's cussing at them. We're thinking, okay, this is not typical. This is different. Something's going on in there. And then you know, nobody would talk. And after the when the locker room opened, and um, they they had the the player walk out the day later, and um, uh, trying to cover that, and uh, that was just a bizarre bizarre deal. And uh, they ended up winning the. Um, and by that time, I was like, you know, this is ridiculous. This team is really. They've got Strickland and Boone and Teron Lou and. They got all these guys. A lot of talent. They should be winning. 
they won the NIT, and I kind of ripped them for. I said, we're number 64, we're number 65, we're 65. So people got mad at that. But I was like, yeah, these should be better. You know, on the other hand, the other side of that, I should have probably wrote, you know what, this was a hell of an accomplishment. It may not seem like much, but this team was, it was in total disarray. They hated each other, didn't want to play with, with each other. They came together and they, they actually did something and won a NIT title, um, which is nothing to really, you know, um, sneeze at. So, but I did anyway. But, um, but that's, that's the kind of thing. If, if I do it and did it now, I'd probably take a different approach. Some people sound I took the right approach. Who knows? But um, anyway, um, yeah, but the, yeah, Mike, those were the days when we, we felt like we were going to San Antonio every year for big 12 games or Alamo Bowls. And um, you just all the stuff you used to take for granted. It doesn't yeah. happen anymore. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. <laughs> the Music City Bowl feels like it's just, uh, you know, a distant memory at this point. I, I, I want to, I have a lot more that I would love to get into, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. Yeah, I, go ahead. Wanna, I, I do want to finish with this. So you, you've been able to cover a lot of different things and, and it spans, you know, all these different sports. And some of it is just sort of the, the intersection of where Nebraska sits and you've had Creighton basketball uh, has gotten in the mix there. And now, Terrence Crawford, uh, Bud Crawford, you have the arguably the pound for pound best fighter and in, in the yeah. entire world. What what's left for you that you have not covered? Like, what is there a bucket list item? Would it be you know a college basketball team in the area playing in the actual Final Four? But it, I mean, you've you've covered a, a championship. You just talked about that with Kansas. Yeah. Is there is there something left for you at this point uh, that you haven't covered that you? that you hope to, you know, I just, I, 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 I guess my, my bucket list is I, I show up every day thinking I'm going to see something I've never seen before. Sometimes I have, and uh, hell of a mentality. It keeps me going. And, um, you know, the, the, the travel in the big 10 isn't much fun. I don't like the car rides anymore. My, uh, I, I, I had my knees replaced a few years ago and, I can't sit in the car that long anymore. And uh, now we're going to be flying all over the place. And I don't know how much, how much, you know, we'll be able to do. Um, but I've never taken to the big 10. It's just, I've, I've tried to give it a chance. And um, I feel like I've in 12 years, I've met like one or two writers and, and like one SID and just the total opposite of the, the big eight and the big 12 where everybody knew everybody. It's like the big 10 is, is, is kind of a closed shop and um, that's okay. Um, but here we are. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm still wondering what's next in college sports. What I'm a big 10 and a, a big East rider. How'd that happen? And uh, so, but I, yeah, you're right. Uh, having Creighton or Nebraska, you know, Creighton almost got there last year. Get to get to the Final Four, that'd be fun. Um, yeah, we, we've seen Nebraska in the World Series. Uh, we've seen the College World Series. We've seen um, volleyball do their thing. Uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna push the outer limits uh, next week at the stadium. Um, 
I don't know. I always feel like there's something I haven't seen coming up. And so I, I, I better stick around, you know, just in case I, I don't want to miss it. So, uh, oh, hey, you're going to see an outdoor volleyball game here. Yeah. Pretty soon. <laughs> you know, it's only 100 degrees outside right now. So just, uh, just, uh, I, I told John, just play fast. <laughs> it's like a football game, the traffic. You have to, well, we got right to Minnesota the next day. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, I'd like to see Nebraska not only back in a bowl, but get back up to where it's, um, it's good football. It's good coaching. They're in the mix. I don't expect Nebraska to reel off the nine win years all the time or, um, you know, can they go to a bowl? Sure. They can go to a bowl every year. Um, but as far as winning championships, I mean, it's going to be tough. And I think they, they could, they could get back up there. I'd like to see them. I'd like to be around when that happens. Uh, you know, getting that playoff, maybe win the big 10, um, and go to a Rose Bowl where it counts. I didn't feel like that Miami game counted. I just felt like the yeah, Nebraska wasn't supposed to be there anyway. Then the game was a blowout. It just kind of ruined the experience. And not for everybody, but I'd like to go back to a Rose Bowl that, okay, Nebraska kind of earned this. So um, anyway, so we'll um, we'll see what happens. That's, all, I, I, that's what I always say. <clears throat> All right, Tom, I appreciate your time. This was fantastic. I, uh, like I said, I just wanted, I wanted you to just tell stories and that's exactly, exactly what we got here. And it was, I, might have a couple more. I, didn't, tell, I didn't tell the Osborne one with the hot tub. You want to hear that? <laughs> well, you can't just drop that here at uh, 70 I mean, minutes we in. Off, we we, uh, we got to hear it now. I mean, the first time I met Osborne, I was in a hot tub. Um, he wasn't in the hot tub. I was, um, <laughs> October 88. Doesn't strike me as a hot tub guy. Yeah. Well, I definitely was. Um, Yeah, October 88, uh, Nebraska's at K-State. I'm covering K-State. They just, they just get rid of their, rid of their coach, Stan Parrish. And they were getting ready to hire Bill Snyder, although they didn't know it yet. And um, so it's going to be, it's going to be 80 to nothing coming off the bus. And so, but I'm there. And I go down Friday night from Kansas City to um, for sometimes for a, a one o'clock game. I'll go early, take uh, some people from the, the football office out for dinner or drinks. And so we went to Aggieville, and I stayed in the, the luxurious Manhattan Holodome. The you know, the Holodomes were the Holiday Inns with a roof, and you had the had miniature golf, the pool and a hot tub and all this stuff under the roof. So that's where we stayed. And lo and behold, that was the Nebraska team hotel. So I'm thinking, okay, well, that's cool. I'll stay with the Huskers. I might see somebody, hotel bar, and, you know, somebody from Nebraska. So uh, next morning, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of nursing my Aggieville uh, hangover. So I'm going out to the hot tub and, a month or so earlier, I'd come to Lincoln. I'd been assigned to do a story on, um, oh, gosh, I can't think of her name. Um, was a woman who was an academic advisor for Nebraska football who was unhappy with Nebraska for whatever reason and was uh, trying to blow the whistle on the Huskers and um, that they were doing things that we shouldn't be doing or – 
some something. So they sent me up to do this uh, story on her. And um, I do the story and talk to everybody and and um, wrote it up. And, you know, nothing ever happened. Nothing ever uh, became of it. It just kind of went away. She might have, I don't know what, you know, what, what the thing was with the accusations, but they, they all went away. So, um, so I'm in the hot tub and um, getting ready to go watch, the, you know, Ken Clark and Steve Taylor and, and just destroy K-State. And um, here's this tall figure standing over me and I'm looking up and there he is. And he goes, Tom, Tom Osborne. And he goes, I, yeah, I know who you are. I'm, don't my, please forgive me for not shaking your hand. I'm I'm kind of in a hot tub here, but uh, sorry about that. But uh, and so um, he goes on to to say, you know, the story you wrote, um, yeah, you didn't have everything in there. And I hear one he wanted to give his side of what I didn't have in there. And uh, so I said, well, Tom, I appreciate that. I will. Uh, I'll try to get that corrected when I can. And um, appreciate you doing that and he was very polite and you know uh, said have a good day and I said you too and uh, that was the end of it and so he went on to uh, hammer K-State and I wrote about it and drove home but uh, that that was a very surreal thing and uh, a couple years ago Tom and I were speaking at a World Herald breakfast or some kind of thing and I asked him in front of the audience if he remembered that story. And he goes, he laughed and said, no, I don't remember that. <laughs> so it didn't happen, trust me. <laughs> that's great. That Man, that's great. all I got. Well, like I said, I appreciate it. This is kind of what I wanted, um, especially out of, out of this, uh, this podcast in particular, because you span so much sports and so much time. And uh, it's just great to just sit back and listen. To, to some of these stories and it's it's a good reminder like there's a lot of fun that we get in this job and yes. i know these last five six years for fans have been stressful for yes. the media members it's been you know it's difficult like it's not fun to be in the the bubble every single time right. and it's not going well like it's it doesn't make the job particularly enjoyable so it is good to to have those memories and and the reminders that there are there's going to be better times ahead. There always are. Uh, well, and so that was, you know, that was fantastic. And also Mike, it's, it's, um, and a lot of times we get caught up in winning and we all want Nebraska to win. We all want to cover a winner. We want to go to bowl games and cover important games. And when those things don't happen, we, 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 you know, we get upset or we, you know, get after the coaches and stuff. And, and that's all fine. Um, but really at the end of your career, um, what you remember are the, the the friends, the stories, the people you shared the press box with. I don't really care about any any of the wins I covered or any of those things. Yeah, it was fun to go to the Orange Bowl. When I think of the Orange Bowl, I'm not thinking about Corey Schlesinger scoring. I'm thinking about the time Eric Olson and I were in the hospitality room with all the other national writers, trading stories, and um, – just, just going back and forth, and and um, you know, the time on deadline, some guy, you know, some guy yelled at somebody, and we're, you know, I remember 
one time uh, in Lincoln, a bunch of Florida State riders were done early in the night game and packing up and they're kind of loud and laughing. And Mike Kelly says, hey, some of us are working here. And the Florida State riders say, yeah, some of us aren't. And they, they went back and then they laughed. But I just I remember that stuff. I don't yeah. remember half of the games, but um, I think, you know, when you get to my point, it's it's the stories and I've told them a million times, and I'm sure people are tired of them. But um, what's the line from uh, uh, Springsteen uh, Gory Days? Uh, the, the boring old stories of Gory Days. So I'm full of them right now. <clears throat> yeah. Well, hey, we appreciated uh, we appreciated being able to hear about them. So thank you. Well, I, I appreciate yeah, I appreciated all this. This has been a, a lot of fun for for me as a writer and a, a media guy to get to know everybody and everybody's got a story. And uh, it's, I just, I would just love the whole thing. So yeah. uh, thank you for doing it. It's officially time to say goodbye. But before I go, I have a lot of people I'd like to thank. First, thank you to all the guests who joined this season, taking time out of their own busy lives to indulge a strange text, DM or email they received. I'm happy to say no one said no. And I only had to convince half the people to do it. Additionally, a big thank you to Bubbles and Blocks Child Development Center for believing in this project and wanting to be the primary sponsor. Much appreciated. Also, thank you to Amy Graham, Jack Mitchell, and Kenny Larrabee, each of whom helped get this podcast idea out of my brain and into the earbuds through Podcast House Media. Go check out the other great options. There's truly a podcast for everyone. Finally, thanks to you, the listener. Without you, this podcast is mostly me living out a daydream of how fun it would be to interview and chat with my colleagues. And maybe this is mostly that, but enough people have reached out that I know some have found this whole experience enjoyable. There's plenty more Nebraska media members I'd love to check in with, so perhaps this is really just a talk to you soon and not a goodbye. Whether you listen to one episode or listen to them all, thanks for spending a little bit of time with the Hey Coach It's Blank podcast.